Uh, The reading this morning is taken from Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 18. And if you wish to follow this in the Pew Bibles, you'll find it on page 974, 974. Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 18. While Jesus was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned to her, turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. When Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, Go away, the girl is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread all through that region. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, it will be done to you and their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. This is the word of the Lord. A prayer as we sit. Heavenly Father, pour out your spirit upon us, we pray to open our minds, to warm our hearts, and to send us out as more loving and obedient followers of your Son, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. I've been following a lot of signposts recently because I've had a couple of days holiday in West Wales, doing a few short walks, not the sort of ones that Martin and David do, but short walks along parts of the beautiful Pembrokeshire coastal footpath. It was easy following the giant signs on the motorway. It was pretty easy following the road signs from one town to the next in Wales, as long as I didn't get confused by the Welsh names and think that they were a completely different place from the English names for that town. But it wasn't always so easy finding the signposts to the footpaths that were shown quite clearly on my map, but weren't so obvious on the ground. And in a way, this middle part of Matthew's Gospel that we're 
looking at over a period of a couple of months or so is all about signposts. The things Jesus does are signposts to who he is and the sort of kingdom that he's bringing into being. Sort of things we were praying for just a moment ago. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And sometimes it's obvious where those signposts are pointing, but at other times the language is unfamiliar. Sometimes they're just giving information, but at other times they're calling us to step out in faith and to follow where they lead. And at first glance, a passage like today's from the second half of Matthew chapter 9, and do keep it open at page 974, well, those verses can seem to be simply an account of what happened next. But if we're looking at each incident as a signpost, we may find that they're building up a picture of Jesus and a picture of his mission that challenges us to follow him more closely. So verse 18 of Matthew 19 begins, of Matthew, 8, of Matthew chapter 9, begins like this. While Jesus was saying this, a ruler came up and knelt before him. While he was saying this, well, that takes us back to what we were thinking about last week, when Jesus compared his teaching to new bubbly fermenting wine that couldn't be contained within the old leathery wineskins, by which Jesus meant the man-made rules and traditions that the Jewish religious leaders of his time had added to God's word. So we should expect that today's encounters between Jesus and different people in need won't only tell us how Jesus met those people's needs, but will also point us to what is new about life under his kingship. Jesus' first encounter is with a ruler, and that probably means a synagogue leader there in the town of Capernaum, the town where Jesus sort of used as his base on Lake Galilee, where Peter's home was. So we read verse 18, while Jesus was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Such a matter of fact account. Those simple words show great faith in Jesus and his power to heal, indeed to bring back that daughter from the dead. What's more, the synagogue leader would have known all the rules about not touching a dead body. But he also knows that Jesus will give greater priority to helping his family in their distress than to maintaining his own purity. When he kneels before him, he acknowledges that Jesus is the true teacher as well as the great healer. So Jesus sets off towards that ruler's house, but he's interrupted on the way. It's only in verse 23 that Jesus actually reaches his house and is met by a crowd who've already begun what was traditional in those days and still is in that part of the world, noisy chants of public mourning, even flute players joining in. Recorder type things, I think that means. And uh, when Jesus plays down about what he's about to do to the girl by saying to the crowd, go away, the girl is not dead but asleep, They react by laughing at him because they know that she has already died. There's much less detail in this uh, account in Matthew than there is in Mark and Luke. But all three Gospels make it clear that Jesus sent that unbelieving crowd, the crowd that was laughing at him, out of the courtyard before he went to the girl. 
and just her immediate family and Peter and John. Then he lifted her up by the hand and restored her to her family. It's an amazing miracle. We're told that news of this spread through all that region. Matthew doesn't really dwell on it. He seems to pass over it quite quickly. It's, it's almost as if we're being invited to reflect not so much as on the miracle of that new life as on the ruler's faith in Jesus to bring it about. I must admit that I'm torn between amazement that Jesus should bring this girl back to life. Way surprised that with such power, Jesus only exercised it on, I think, a couple of other occasions. Raising of the son of a widow in the village of Nain and the raising of Lazarus. Perhaps the message for us today is to show compassion for those who are grieving, but in more ordinary ways. And also to have faith that Jesus can bring new spiritual life that will last longer than any restoration to a purely physical existence. After all, Jairus' daughter was to die again later on when she was older. I wonder, did she and her father come to share in the eternal life of Jesus' kingdom? Well, the interruption to Jesus' journey to the ruler's house was caused by a woman with persistent bleeding, a condition that would have made her in those days ritually unclean, as they called it, unable to join in public worship and social gatherings, as well as causing her great pain and embarrassment. It had been going on for 12 years, we're told. Again, Matthew includes less detail than Mark and Luke, focusing instead just on the woman's faith. So we read in verse 21, she said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. It's that faith to which Jesus draws attention in the next verse. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. I suspect the woman had probably hoped to get away without being noticed in the crowd. He'd have been concerned perhaps about their possible reaction when they realized that, as in their view, she might have contaminated them. And Jesus is aware that he is causing her this temporary embarrassment. He's more concerned that she will be assured of her healing, that those who know her will also be convinced that she's now ready to be a full member of the community again. Those words, your faith has healed you, could also be translated, your faith has saved you, or your faith has rescued you. Jesus said them on several occasions when he healed someone. They're a reminder that Jesus can not only heal physically, but also emotionally and spiritually. And indeed, as we know, our, our physical health and our emotional and spiritual well-being are often all mixed up together. And Jesus wants to reach out to us as whole people so that he can heal and restore us as whole people. Sadly, our priority is often more about, well, not making a scene or making sure that people just feel comfortable, perhaps covering over any problems or disagreements, rather than looking for ways to bring deeper and lasting healing and reconciliation. Jesus is in the business of that deeper work. 
that Jesus did not remain even at the scene of this great miracle. We're told he went on from there. When two blind men tried to catch his attention, he didn't stop. So they had to keep following him, almost running after him, calling out after him, have mercy on us, son of David. Perhaps Jesus was wanting to see whether they'd persevere in asking for his help, whether they really saw in him the expected king, the, the anointed one, the one like their great king David, whom they were all looking for. Or perhaps whether those two men would stay where they were and then just call out again to whoever happens to come along next. Perhaps it was that, or perhaps it was that Jesus saw into their hearts and heard more than just a a beggar's daily patter. Perhaps he wanted to draw out from them an expression of faith that had only just begun to grow within them. So Jesus gives them their own private moment away from the public gaze, There in verse 28, when he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? That question of Jesus implies that the blind men are now asking for more than money, that the mercy they seek goes beyond just food for the day. The men's response is one of simple trust. Yes, Lord, they replied. Jesus now does far more for them than they'd first expected, perhaps. Verse 29. Then Jesus touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, will it be done to you? And their sight was restored. And we've already seen in Matthew's gospel how Jesus sometimes told those who were healed not to publicize their healing. Perhaps because he wanted to keep a balance in his ministry between preaching and teaching and healing and other miracles, rather than just being overwhelmed by the needs of those around him. But this time, as so often happened, the men who'd regained their sight just couldn't stop talking about it. I think Jesus' words to those blind men still challenge us today. Do you believe I am able to do this? Then, according to your faith, will it be done to you? We believe it not just for physical blindness, but for spiritual blindness. We believe that Jesus is able to give us true insight into God and his ways, not just for ourselves, but for those who at present seem so far from showing any interest in spiritual matters. That was the great encouragement of what Steve shared with us just a moment ago, wasn't it? Someone who just didn't seem to be interested, and yet, as, as, as he others prayed, God seems to be opening that person's spiritual eyes. So let's us pray for faith that God is able to open the eyes of the spiritually blind so that we too have confidence to reach out towards everyone that we meet. Not only did Jesus open the eyes of the blind, he also released the tongues of the dumb. The final encounter in this chapter is with someone whom Matthew describes in verse 32. It's a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk. It's difficult for us to know what is meant by demon possession. If we haven't had any sort of experience of someone suffering from that sort of spiritual condition, it seems to have been more common in Jesus' time, perhaps because the presence of the Son of God amongst them provoked more opposition from those spiritual evil forces. 
It's not, as is sometimes said, just a case of their lack of medical knowledge, because the Bible writers do distinguish between illness and demon possession. For example, later on in Mark's gospel, he describes another healing of a deaf and dumb man in great detail without any suggestion that evil spirits were involved on that occasion. Oppression by evil forces is recognized today, admittedly more so in some countries and in some branches of the Christian church than in others. In each diocese of the Church of England, there are clergy who are recognized as having particular discernment in this area. Then other ministers are recommended to consult them and pray with them if they're concerned that anyone in, in their parish, in, in their care, feels attacked by such spiritual forces. It's certainly not an area for amateur dabbling or for us to have an unhealthy interest in. Here Jesus shows that he can deal with both. He can deal with both spiritual oppression and inability to speak. I mean, those who knew this unfortunate man did the best they could for them. They brought him to Jesus. Then as we read in verse 33, When the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. This wonderful deliverance brings two opposite reactions from those who'd witnessed what had happened. Firstly, they're in the same verse 33. The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Perhaps some of them who knew the prophecies of Isaiah um, recognized them as a fulfillment of Words in Isaiah 35, then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the tongue of the dumb will sing. But the Pharisees, who with all their knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures should have been able to see where Jesus' actions were pointing, well, they came to a much darker conclusion. Verse 34, Pharisees said, hmm. you can almost hear us, hmm, can't you? Hmm. It's by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. We'll consider that accusation in more detail when someone else is preaching on the um, passage at greater length later on in Matthew's Gospel. I don't think it is me. It's, however, a challenge to us whether we recognize when God is at work, perhaps in unusual or unexpected ways, whether we're ever attempted to attribute what is God's work to merely human forces, or to coincidence, or even to more sinister influences. So we've heard in this passage four brief accounts of Jesus bringing new life, inner healing, new sight, and new speech. What those who were healed have in common is that they'd all have been seen at that time as just ordinary people, or even people who were unworthy of God's attention. And one of them, well, they were just a child. They didn't have the same high opinion as we have of children these days. No, just a child and just a girl. Another, a woman with an unpleasant medical problem. Blind beggars. Disturbed, mute person. But Jesus showed that each troubled and needy person mattered deeply to him. He gave each of them his undivided attention. So who I wonder amongst those we meet day by day are generally regarded as, well, not so important or better kept out of sight or people who find it difficult to make their own voice heard. 
Well, if we're to follow Jesus, we won't label people in that way or dismiss anyone as being of less importance. For ourselves, we'll recognise that times we lack vitality, we lack spiritual life, we're drained of energy, we're spiritually blind or short-sighted, or we find it hard to speak. Then if only we'll admit that need to Jesus, we'll ask for his new life to flow through us and for the ability to see with his eyes and to speak his words. The other thing that all those whom Jesus helped had in common was their faith. Even the man who'd been dumb had to believe he was now able to speak, to actually sort of try moving his tongue and so on. Otherwise, he'd have just never known that Jesus had given him that ability back. The words that Jesus spoke to the hemorrhaging woman were true for all of them. Your faith has healed you or saved you or rescued you. Some of them, perhaps, that faith was limited. There was almost an element of superstition in the way that the woman wanted to just touch Jesus' cloak. Seems that the, the blind men had something of a distorted view of Jesus' mission when they called him son of David. They may well have been thinking of a, a military leader like that king. Whereas perhaps the, the faith of the synagogue ruler, what Jesus would do for his daughter, seems that much stronger. But the point about their faith was not how confident they were or how clearly they understood what was going on. It was the direction in which they placed that faith, not in themselves, not in someone else, but in Jesus himself. The same's true for us. I think sometimes we can be almost, when we hear those words, well, according to your faith, will it be done for you? Well, we think, oh, well, that's it then. I don't have that much faith. But I don't think it is so much, faith isn't, it isn't so much the, the quantity of faith in the sense of how confident we feel. It's more which direction we're turning in. Are we turning towards Jesus? So we don't need to have a complete understanding of the biblical truth. It doesn't matter if we are a bit muddled like some of those whom Jesus helped that we heard today. It doesn't matter if our confidence in Jesus is at times troubled by doubts. But we do need to direct that faith, that trust, towards God as he is revealed in Jesus, however muddled or faltering our faith may be. Because the Holy Spirit is able to take our weak faith and fan it into a flame. So let's just have a moment of quiet and then I'll say a prayer. Lord, increase in us your gift of faith. Revive us where we are weak. Help us to see people with your eyes and speak to them your words of love and life and wholeness for your glory's sake. Amen.